Let me begin with a little story. Uh, they, they say there was a guy who uh, heard a knock on his door one day. He gets up and opens the door, and there's a snail on the mat. He says, huh. He picks up the snail and throws it as far as he possibly can. Three years later, there's another knock on the door, and he looks down, and there's the snail looking up, and I'm going, what the heck was that all about? I think in some ways, Easter is a little bit like that. You know, what the heck was that all about? It's a good question. They spent three years with Jesus, uh, listening to him, watching him, being confused by him at times, enraged by him, inspired by him, but eventually coming to place their trust in him. And then he's gone. Crucified. Dead. Lost. Like a common criminal. And buried with all of their dreams. What the heck was that all about? And now, all they get is a missing body and a guy with a kind of a smirk on his face who's sitting on a rock, super dapper, like he's dressed for the prom or something like that, like glowing white suit. What the heck is that all about? And then the guy, who Matthew tells us is an angel, speaks. Uh, He answers, he answers the question. Six words. Six words that in brief, tell us what the heck Easter is all about. Not just what it was about, uh, but what it is about. Not, not just what it was for them, but what it is for us, all of us today. Six words. We find them in the middle of Matthew 28, verse 7. Here they are. He is going ahead of you. He is going ahead of you. That's it. That's what Easter is all about. That's what this is all about. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified, the angel says. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now, why Galilee? Because I think Galilee is where we wrestle with our doubts. It's not easy to make sense of this claim, you know, that a guy who was dead is now alive. It's not easy for me, and it wasn't easy for them either. Matthew, two paragraphs later, verse 26, tells us what happens in Galilee. Catch this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, he writes, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. Now, I, I'm thinking that Matthew, who is one of the 11, is giving uh, the others the benefit of the doubt. He knows very much what's going on in his, his heart. I think it's safe to say that all of them doubted in that. All of them worshiped and doubted. You see, Jesus died and rose in Jerusalem, but most of the disciples lived 80 miles north in Galilee. They had gone to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, and after the six days of unleavened bread, they would go back to Galilee. And it's one thing to believe in Jerusalem, but something else entirely in Galilee. Jerusalem is uh, where you worship. Galilee is where you live. Jerusalem is the upper room. Galilee is your room. 
Jerusalem is where you go for answers. Galilee is where you live the questions. Galilee is where we wrestle with our doubts. Some doubted, Matthew says. And so do we. But even here, notice, he is going ahead of you. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He knows all about your doubts. He wrestled with temptation in the wilderness. Remember, if you are the son of God, dot, dot, dot. He wrestled with anguish in the garden. Take this cup. He wrestled with the political cynicism of Pontius Pilate. What is truth? He wrestled with the faithless rejection of God's own people. Crucify him. And finally, Jesus has to wrestle with his own despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God in Jesus has taken upon himself human doubt. He's entered into our doubt until it killed him, right? And come out the other side. So next time you wrestle with your own doubts, don't worry. Don't take your doubt too seriously. It won't get the last word. Jesus knows just what to do with your doubt. He's done it. He's come through it. And he'll be there for you on the other side. He's going ahead of you. Why Galilee? Because Galilee is where we wrestle with our doubts. But Galilee is also the place that we hide our secrets. It's where we hide our secrets. Everybody's got a past, and your past is not your past if it's still influencing your present. Matthew was a tax collector in Galilee. It probably meant he was into extortion and fraud and who knows what all else. Serious stuff. He was no choir boy. I think of him as Mr. Brass Knuckles. And he got grouped with the people that they called the tax collectors and the sinners, the gluttons and the drunkards. And this is his account that we're reading. And earlier in this account, in chapter 10, he tells us who the disciples are. He names them. But in the list, they're just names until you get to his name. And then it's Matthew, the tax collector. See, he adds it just for himself. Matthew, the tax collector. That's his way of saying, I've got a past, you know. That's his darkest secret. I told you before about a mother who wrote a letter to a college president. Dear sir, she writes, my son has been accepted for admission to your college and soon he will be leaving me. I'm writing to ask you that you give your personal attention to the selection of his roommate. <laughs> I want to be sure his roommate's not the kind of person who uses foul language or tells off-color jokes or smokes or drinks or chases after girls. I hope you will understand why why I'm appealing to you directly. You see, this is the first time my son will be away from home, except for his three years in the Marines. <laughs> we all have our secrets. Let's be honest today, right? I have my own, and I've heard many of yours. We're not actually married. I stole from my roommate. I'm abusing Xanax. I cheated on my taxes. There was a third child 
I'm addicted to pornography. I purge. I lie. I hate. I've killed. And we carry these around with us, these secrets, hiding them, hiding ourselves, hoping it doesn't matter, hoping it will all just go away, or that we will. But you don't need to, you see. Not with Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who has gone ahead of you to forgive you, to disarm the secrets. Tell my brothers, Jesus says to the two Marys here in verse 10, tell my brothers to go to Galilee. My brothers, hear what he says? He had told them this, this would happen. He told them on Thursday in Jerusalem, he said, you will all become deserters because of me. Deserters. But he said, after I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. See, on the other side of it, there's forgiveness. He says, they were deserters, but now they're brothers. They were tax collectors and sinners, gluttons and drunkards, but now they are brothers with Jesus, the Son of God, forgiven. I mean, where else does this happen? Where do you find that? You are looking. For Jesus, who was crucified. And you know why he was crucified? Not to make a point, to make a way, a way through. Jesus is the way for sinners back into the goodness and love of a holy God. He is God's way, God's way through judgment. Jesus is both the judge and the man judged for you. For me, we don't ever want to come before God without letting Jesus go ahead of us. He goes ahead of us to represent us, to reconcile us. God, in Jesus, has taken upon himself our darkest secrets. He's entered into the sin, our sin, until it destroyed him. He has buried our secrets in the tomb and come out the other side. That's what this is about. Tell my brothers, he says. Tell my sisters. The ransom is paid. The judgment is past. Your past is past. All is forgiven. You are forgiven. He's going ahead of you. Why Galilee? Because it's where we hide our secrets. Galilee is also the place where we meet our neighbors. We meet our neighbors in Galilee. Here, here's the thought. You live where you live because you've been sent there by God. You're there for your neighbors. You have a mission from God. After all, remember, these 11, Galilee is their home. It's where this whole thing began. It's where Jesus taught them how to love their neighbors. Neighbors who are sick, neighbors who are poor, who are sometimes self-righteous or unrighteous. Neighbors who are marginalized. He taught them how to cross boundaries of gender, race, class, and creed and how to love the people right next door. By the way, the first time that Matthew ever mentions Galilee, it's in chapter 4. He tells us that Jesus has moved. He moves from Nazareth 
into a new neighborhood among fishermen on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then Matthew kind of winks at the reader. He says, this was all according to God's plan. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had promised that the people in that neighborhood would, quote, see a great light. God has moved into the neighborhood. And God is moving into our neighborhoods today. God is giving us a fresh vision here at UPC. I'm so excited to be here at this time. He's giving us a vision to join Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people. And so we're asking questions. We're asking, what does it mean to shine his light and to see it reflected in the faces of our neighbors? What does it mean that UPC is not here for itself, for us, but it's here for the city in which God has placed it? What does it mean that you and I are not here by accident, but that we're here for the person who lives next door, for our roommate, our sibling, our coworker, our gym partner, the person across the street, and the person lying in the street? We're here for Green Lake and Greenwood. We're here for Ballard and Bellevue. We're here for Soto and Shoreline. See, Galilee is not just where the story begins. Galilee is where the story continues. Because this story isn't just about us and our self-actualization. This story is about our neighbors. This story is about the whole world. The good news is the news that God has reconciled the world to himself in Jesus Christ. And when we say reconcile, what we mean is to overcome what disconnects us. And the world has never been more dangerously disconnected than now. We need Jesus. He's the only answer. He's the only one who brings reconciliation. And he's doing it in our neighborhoods today. When the disciples figure out that Jesus is alive, they're going to want to stay in Jerusalem. This is awesome. Let's just stay right here. They're going to want to sit down and set up the messianic throne and to let the new age begin. But Jesus says, no, not yet. Go, the angel says to the women. Go, the women say to the men. And go, Jesus says to all his followers at the end of Matthew's account. You will not see me in the splendor of Jerusalem. You will see me in the knit and gritty of your own neighborhood. You will not see me on a throne. You will see me in the streets. You will not find me in the temple. You will find me living in your hearts as you love your neighbors. As you connect those who've been disconnected with me, as you join me in my mission to reconcile all people, there you will see me. So brothers and sisters, let's go home today to our neighbors, the people God has put right there in front of you. But as you go, remember, he is going ahead of you. You are looking for Jesus, who was crucified, the one who tore down the dividing wall in his flesh, at work, in your life, through your life, in your neighbor's life, through their lives. What the heck is Easter all about? It's about a God who is going ahead of you, wherever you go. 
Easter is about a God who's bigger than your doubts, greater than your secrets, and stronger than the principalities and the powers that disconnect us from one another. Easter is about the fulfillment of a promise that God has been trying to make all along in so many ways. For example, to Israel in Deuteronomy 31, it is the Lord who goes before you. To David in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. To Isaiah chapter 52. You shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. To Jeremiah chapter 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. He is going ahead of you. This is the God we meet in Jesus Christ on Easter morning. It may take us three years to figure it out or three days or a lifetime, but this is what the story is all about. And if I dare say, uh, this is what your life is all about as well. Because you see, when you understand that you have a God who loves you enough to go ahead of you through your doubts, through your secrets, through your neighborhood, you're gonna wanna get to know him You want to get to know everything about him. Who who are you? Who am I? What are you doing in the world? And how can I join? And when you get to know him, you're going to come to love him. You're going to want to do what these women do and grab his feet and worship him. Worship him. Oh, and you're going to want to follow him too. Right? Because that's the corollary of the promise, isn't it? I mean, if he's going ahead of you, it's because you're following him, right? Like the snail, we may be coming from a great distance, we may be coming slow, but we're following, taking whatever the next step is for us. Because this is a God who isn't just in the business of loving you, this is a God in the business of loving the whole world, of reconciling it. And he's given you life to join him in that mission. Just like Mary Magdalene, Just like Matthew, the tax collector, that's why you're here. That's why you're you. And he is going ahead of you. Why Galilee? Because that's where we meet our neighbors. Oh, but there's one last thing about Galilee. Galilee is also the last place you will breathe your last. Someday you and I will put on our socks for the last time. We will draw one last breath of air. And on that day, there will be only one other day of greater significance to you. And you know what that day is? Today, Easter. Come and see the place where they lay him. He's not there, is he? Where is he? He was trying to tell you on Thursday night in the upper room. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you 
that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I don't exactly know how this works. But when it's time for you to breathe your last and you let that last exhale go, the next inhale, for all who are in the way of Jesus, the next inhale will be the joyful ether of eternity. I go to prepare a place for you. Easter assures us that no matter what you face this morning, your challenge will not get the last word, even if it be death itself. Jesus has already gone there for you. Jesus is right now in your tomorrow at this very moment, ready. So let's be bold, brothers and sisters. Let's go for it. Death could not hold him. And if it's Jesus who was crucified that you come looking for this morning, it will not hold you. Because friends, Jesus is going ahead of you. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we bow our hearts before you in gratitude to say we love you, to worship you. We pray this Easter Sunday, thanking that you for the gift of life this day, and ask that through your Holy Spirit, even if one more time, you will shine the light of Jesus in our hearts so brightly, it will push the darkness away. We pray in particular for those who do not yet know that they have in him a claim and an assurance of eternal life. Pray that today will be the day that we say yes to Jesus and that we have the boldness to share with a friend the good news that we ourselves have received this gift on Easter morning. We pray this not because we're saints, but because you are a God who loves sinners. And for that, we thank you. 